uh, leader, Bach is a pastor in um, Alabama of a group of house churches, and he doesn't have an office, and so every morning he goes to the Waffle House as his office, probably not approved on the health food industry, you know, but, uh, but he goes in there every day, and he's gotten to know a lot of people there as it kind of just functions at his office, and one day he goes in, and he goes to sit at the bar, and he doesn't notice that uh, there's a used coffee mug that's sitting over to the side behind the menu, so he actually sat down in someone's seat, but he didn't know it. Uh, they were out smoking a cigarette, and when the guy who was smoking a cigarette came back in, his name was Chuck, he was kind of a loud, obnoxious, vulgar kind of guy, and he goes up and he just yells out, hey, you mother blank, expletive deleted, okay, and he just goes into a, just a string of invective about how bad this guy is for sitting at his chair. Well, without saying anything, these, these um, I mean, Gary didn't have to say anything, the, the waitresses there jump on Chuck. And they say, hey, you little mother, beep, yeah, that's our beeping pastor. <laughs> and so, like, he wasn't, you know, like Gary was like, oh, I'm, I am. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, and so Chuck gets mad and he storms out, and the ladies give each other a high five and say, sword of the spirit, baby. <laughs> Only they didn't say baby, they said another B word, sword of the spirit. And Gary was thinking, I, I, I need to explain the sort of the spirit thing again. I don't, I don't think I've gotten through. Uh, but what was even more do, amazing to him was this, that, that he had been going to this Waffle House and none of these people have ever come to church. But whenever they had a need, he prayed for them. And whenever they had a question, he opened the scriptures and, and explained it to them. And they began to see him as their pastor in the Waffle House. The next day, he's walking into the Waffle House and Chuck's outside smoking a cigarette again. And he says, hey, hey, uh, Gary, can I talk to you? And he says, sure. And he says, listen, I know you, you believe in that prayer stuff. Um, and I'm getting ready to go to the doctor. They, they say I, I have probably have prostate cancer. Would you pray for me? And Gary said, I'll pray for you right now. And he said, no, 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 I, don't, I, don't, I got to leave right now. And, and also, I, I haven't prayed since I got back from Vietnam. He said, before I went to Vietnam, before I was in the war, I was a believer. And I was a Christian. And I went to church and I prayed. But. I saw things in Vietnam, and I did things in Vietnam that God could never forgive. And Gary was just about to launch into, you know, a, an explanation that, no, no, God can forgive anything when, when, when Chuck left. And Gary started thinking about it. He had been one of the people there who had kind of given Chuck a hard time, never realizing, yes, Chuck was harsh and vulgar and mean, and he said some ugly stuff, but it was because of the wounds that he carried. A couple days later, Chuck walks in to the Waffle House, but this time he's not vulgar, he's not shouting, he's not loud, no curse words, nothing. And in fact, he doesn't even sit at the bar. He goes and he sits down in a booth saying nothing. And Gary looks at one of the waitresses and says, that's kind of weird. Chuck's usually, you know, loud and, and proud and in charge and all that stuff. And she said, well, I heard his son died last night. So Gary goes over there. I mean, he is, after all, the pastor of the Waffle House. He goes over and he sits in the, in the booth and he said, listen, I just heard this. I don't know if it's true. If it's true, I'm so sorry. And he said, yeah. And instantly tears begin to stream down this tough guy, this warrior's face. And he told him the story. He said, last night, uh, my son was showing some friends and us his new pistol. He had gone to the truck and brought his pistol back, and my wife and I were sitting there, and his friend were there, and, and he released the magazine. 
but he didn't check to see if there was a round in the chamber. And when he gave the gun to his buddy, the gun went off and it shot him in the face from less than two feet away. We rushed him to the hospital, but he died. And then he said, Gary, do do you think this is God punishing me because of what I did in Vietnam? And Gary was able to tell him, you know what, that's not God taking your son because God already gave his son for your sin. And he prayed with them, and then he ran home, and, and, and he had grilled up some chicken and was making a big dinner for his family that night. He boxed up all the grilled chicken and sides and desserts and breads and all of that stuff, and he wrote his name on it, you know, put Gary, put his phone number, and he took it back to the Waffle House, and he gave it to Chuck. And Chuck tried to say no, and he said, yes, now please take it. And the next day, Chuck calls Gary, and he says, listen, I, we don't have a pastor. <laughs> we don't go to church we're just gonna we don't have any money either we're just gonna cremate him in the cheapest way we know how and then we're gonna have something in our living room would would you come and and would you just maybe read a scripture and pray a prayer and tell us about this forgiveness that you say that we can all have and here's what Gary writes he says this I've been going to the Waffle House regularly for over three years now Sometimes I wondered if I needed to continue going. Only one or two people, customers or employees, have ever come to a church gathering. So if you go by traditional church metrics, my time investment has not led to church growth or increased numbers in the pews. It's not resulted in one penny going into our offertory plate or pastor support. But God, just through being faithful, has given me an amazing opportunity To be welcomed into this house, a house, a circle of family and friends that no other pastor has ever been invited into to share the love of God with them. And that's my heart's desire, not to see them as an evangelistic project or opportunity, but a family in pain that simply needs the love of God and to love them. And here's what he writes to his church family. I would echo it to our church family. Dear church family, I pray that you will be led by the Holy Spirit not to seek and enter into some structured ministry with people like the organization of the church, but simply enter into life and the lives of people. Organic ministry. I want to talk to you just for a few moments today about making room for the Holy Spirit. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. So you're saying we're supposed to go to Waffle House. You missed the point of that story. I'm not saying that, or maybe I am saying that actually. It's not about where you go, it's about being alert and open to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do wherever you are. In fact, the word to us this year has been the word organic. And we said last week that usually when you hear the word organic, the first thing you think of is without man-made additives. And there might be something in that that the Lord's saying to us. But more than that, if you look it up in the dictionary, organic means this, of relating to or derived from a living organism of relating to or derived from a living organism in other words i believe the lord is saying to us we need to focus on our identity as a church as an organism rather than an organization now we are an organization let's not kid ourselves but we're more than an organization we're a living organism and an organism is something that shares life with all of its parts and to see the difference of that, last year we used this, last year, that wasn't last year, that was last week. Woo, it's been a long week. Um, 
we use this picture, a picture of a chair and a human body. And we said a chair is an organization, right, of lifeless matter. It was designed and created by something that was alive, but it is not itself alive. Chairs are helpful. I'm grateful for chairs. But chairs aren't the body. A human body, by contrast, may sit in the chair, may be held up by the chair, may be supported by the chair, but the body is not the chair. The body is an organism which shares life. It's produced by life because life always comes from life, by the way. If something's dead, it doesn't produce living things, right? And it's produced in life for life, and it depends on life. And so when it comes to the church, the organic life of our church is the Holy Spirit in us making us the body, not the organization, the body of Christ. And we said last week that, and this would be kind of our outline for the year, that when we say organic, here's what we mean. Shared life that is rooted in Jesus and connected to one another. Shared life, because an organism shares life with all of its parts, that is rooted in Jesus and connected to one another. So today I want to talk to you about this shared life, the life of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, before I get to that... There's, there's been a lot of miscommunication about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it doesn't help much that often the people who talk the most about the Holy Spirit are the weirdest people you've ever met in your life, okay? Bizarre, wacky, goofy people. And whatever goofy stories you have, I promise you, I have more. I, I grew up in a charismatic church. I grew up in this charismatic church and i can never be grateful enough for growing up in this fellowship with you guys i owe a new life church a great debt of gratitude i could never repay i, I have seen miraculous moves of the spirit I, i've been a part of that i've experienced that but the other side of growing up in a charismatic troops uh, church is that you meet people who are fruit loops sometimes and they do weird things and they just blame it on the holy spirit for example, back in the 70s when we were in, in Tennessee, my dad was pastoring a church in Tennessee, and there was an evangelist that was going around to some churches in the area, and he, had, he was over at a church that was at a, a pastor friend of my dad's, and uh, the evangelist uh, came, and the pastor said, listen, uh, tomorrow uh, at the service, I want you to conclude around noon, hand the service back over to me, and I'll take up a love offering for you. And, and the evangelist said, oh, brother, the Holy Spirit never leads me to end a service before 1230 or 1. Now, mind you, this was the charismatic movement in the 70s. All services were long. Okay, I was a kid, but they all felt long. Let me tell you, I, I, I think it was we believed that if it was the Holy Spirit, it was a long service. By contrast, if you prayed for somebody and they got healed immediately, that was the Holy Spirit. So sometimes it was immediate, and sometimes it was long, depending, you know, and that's the way we saw it. So this, this, this evangelist says, oh, the Holy Spirit never leads me to end a service between, before 1230 or 1. The pastor looked at him and wisely responded, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But you should know, the Holy Spirit never leads me to take up a love offering after noon. <laughs> he said it was amazing the next day, the Holy Spirit led that guy to end precisely at noon. It was amazing, it was amazing. What's my point? A lot of stuff gets blamed on the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of bad information out there about the Holy Spirit. This probably goes without saying, but let me say it anyway. Just because it's on YouTube doesn't make it true. 
I'm serious. Just because you see a video and somebody's doing parlor tricks and calling it the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that's the Holy Spirit. And this may come as something of a surprise to some of you, but Harry Potter is not a reliable source of accurate information about the Holy Spirit. And some people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. As if the Holy Spirit were God's stun gun. You know, like Star Trek, set phasers for stun, and we pray for people and they fall down. That's the Holy Spirit. As if, it, as if it's a thing. The Holy Spirit's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a divine person. He's part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is who makes God real to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to experience God. He brings us into an experience with God the Father through God the Son. The Holy Spirit then is the wellspring of all genuine Christian experience. This is important. You got, you, we got to be together on this before we go where we're going to go. It's the Holy Spirit that is the wellspring of all, if it's genuine, Christian experience. So we need to be full of the Spirit. We need to be led of the Spirit. We need to be walking in the Spirit. And this has always been true, but it's especially true where we are right now. In our culture, politically, socially, educationally, everywhere, we got to be full of the Holy Spirit. Our children need to be full of it. They're facing things that we didn't even dream of at that age. So we need the Holy Spirit to wake us up and to empower us. I told you a dream that I had last week. If you weren't here, I would just commend the, the, the uh, you could go online and listen to it, actually, the message from last week, because uh, I'm not going to retell my dream, but I had this dream of, of significant urgency of this wave that was coming, and we weren't prepared for it. And, and I told that story last week not to produce fear, because fear is not of God. God is not, he, he, God's not here wanting to try to make you scared uh, of what's coming in the future, but there should be an urgency. that the, the Holy Spirit wakes us up to say, be vigilant, be urgent in the kingdom of God. John Piper wrote this some time ago, and, I, and I've read it again this week, and it moved me so deeply. I wanted to read it to you. He wrote the following. More than ever in my life, the stark reality of thousands of people groups unreached by a peaceful Western church has been branded on my brain. I am coming to see the peacetime mentality that dominates our church as a tactical victory of Satan. The result of a kind of nerve gas from Satan's arsenal of chemical weaponry that gives the soldiers of Christ a kind of stupor in some and religious euphoria in others and eventually puts them to sleep at the gates of the enemy and makes them utterly oblivious to the cries of the POWs behind the wall. Who but Satan? could devise a chemical weapon which, when spread over the army of Christ, would make them content simply to hold worship services and support groups at the door of Satan's dungeon. Picture the Allied troops landing in Germany, marching victoriously towards the smoke from the ovens in Dachau, and then stopping at the gates, setting up camp, and having a big Bavarian beer to celebrate while the Gestapo finishes murdering Jews behind the gates. Satan is satisfied with all our religious activity as long as it does not move us to break down those gates and rescue the perishing. Therefore, he writes, at the top of my agenda these days has been the question, how can I get myself and the church awake to a wartime mentality? Is there some way to break the spell? 
picture. A great army asleep with mighty weapons in their limp hands and armor in their tents. Picture them sleeping in the fields all around one of Satan's strongholds. Suddenly, an eyelid blinks. A head lifts and looks around. Then another. Then another. A strange awakening spreads through the field. Muscles are flexed. Armor is fitted. Swords are sharpened. Eyes meet with silent excitement. The light. And the commander's tent goes on. The generals gather and the strategy for attack is laid. What has happened? The Holy Spirit has begun to move upon the armies of the Lord. There is only one power that can break the spell of Satan, waken the armies of the Lord, and rout the God of this age, the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, that is outstanding. I wish I had written that. And that was written by a Baptist. It's amazing. So if you have your Bibles, here's what I want you to do. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to do a quick little Bible study on the Holy Spirit. And, and, and John 14, what we find is Jesus' farewell discourse. Okay, in chapter 13, we have the farewell dinner of Jesus. Chapters 14 to 17, we have the farewell discourse of Jesus. And there's a long history within Judaism and um and also the New Testament, Old and New Testament, of farewell discourses, okay? Like the book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses' farewell discourse uh, to Israel. Uh, um, Paul has some in Acts and in some of the letters, kind of a goodbye. And, 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 and there's different things that happen in farewell discourses, but here's one thing that happens in every single farewell discourse, and it's this. The person who is speaking talks about the most important thing to them. I don't know if you've ever been at a deathbed with someone who was dying and you're talking to them, but when somebody's dying, they ain't got time for a bunch of foolishness. They only want to talk about what's important to them. And that's it. And Jesus is no different here as he's saying goodbye. In the first, um, what is it, the first 12 chapters of John, Jesus mentions love only six times. Six times in 12 chapters, okay? You get to chapter 14 to 17, Jesus talks about love 31 times. Okay, six times in 12 chapters, 31 times just in four. I think it's important to Jesus. And the other thing he talks about over and over again is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, at the end of his life, he's about to die. This is his farewell goodbye discourse. He says, I want to talk to you about two things, love, okay, and the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. What does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? I think this is a good question. Because it's my question, and I think my questions are good. Uh, but, but beyond that, I think it's always good to know what Jesus says about someone or something. Like, if you want to discover something about something or someone, I think it's, it's, it's a good place to start with Jesus. So what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Let's start reading, and I'll just point out a few texts as we go here. John 14, verse 16. Hear the words of Jesus. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now let's just break that down for a little bit here. Here's what Jesus says about Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send you another Counselor. Now, in Greek, there's multiple words for the word another. You can have another that means another of a different kind, and you can have another which means another of the same kind. 
So for example, I have my cell phone here. Uh, this is an iPhone 8. Does anybody, raise your hand here if you own a cell phone that is not an iPhone 8. Raise your hand, you own one that is not an iPhone 8. Okay, so you have an, another cell phone of a different kind. Everybody with me? Now raise your hand if you have an iPhone 8. Come on, raise them with pride, ladies and gentlemen. Right here, here we are. Okay, okay. A lot of us, okay, that is an, another cell phone of the same kind. Everybody with me? When Jesus says, I'm going to send you another counselor, the word is another of the same kind. Meaning the Holy Spirit is not lesser or inferior, like kind of a junior God. No. It's another of the same kind. The Spirit is um, like Jesus, our counselor or our advocate. The word is paraclete. It means one who comes alongside. And, and because the translation says uh, counselor, what a lot of people hear, especially in the postmodern world, is that the Holy Spirit is our therapist. Because we hear counselor, and, and so a lot of people think, well, the Holy Spirit is my, is my therapist. And please hear me. I'm not, I'm not here to down uh, Christian counseling or Christian therapy at all, at all. In 2015, uh, I went through a period of time where I, where I saw a Christian counselor. Uh, to kind of help me get unstuck in a couple areas. I have no problem with that. I, I don't see that as weakness. I'm not embarrassed by that. If anybody here is going to Christian counseling, you don't have a problem with that at all. Everybody hear me? But the Holy Spirit is not a therapist. That's not what it means. And when it says counselor, it doesn't mean, it's, it's not like the Holy Spirit is sitting there saying, so how did that make you feel? I hear you saying that you felt bad. Is that, would that be, that, and I'm, again, I'm not making fun of that, okay? But when it says counselor, it means counselor as in a legal defendant, an attorney, an advocate that comes alongside and says things like this. There's somebody making accusations, this is admissible, this is not admissible, and the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, you don't have to pay attention to that, you don't have to pay attention, and I'm going to be an advocate for you. That's the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's an advocate for us. And he says, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says here, he will be with you forever. Now, just don't read over that. The Holy Spirit isn't here today and gone tomorrow. And, and contrary to what some people think, I find no biblical evidence for a retirement party for the Holy Spirit. Now, now there, are, there are different groups of people here, and we love everybody, okay, even when they're wrong. But there, there's two groups of people. There's the cessationist that says that the gifts of the Spirit... I have ceased to exist. And there's the continuationist who says the gifts of the Spirit have continued on. Now, I want you to know I am unapologetically a continuationist. I believe, listen, and if you came today to convince me otherwise, you're too late. Because I not only see it in the scripture, but I've, I've also experienced it, right? So, so, so here's the deal, though. Some people, th and they can't really, cessations don't really agree on when it ceased. In fact, in my reading thus far, in my research, I found 13 different times that the, the cessation to say the gifts ended. Like the end of Hebrews when it was written, 1 Corinthians, one scholar said when the New Testament was finished, one said when the last apostle died, one said when the last person died who had been bestowed a gift by the last apostle who died. Uh, like, there's 13 different times. So there's not agreement. They're just sure that it ceased. I am sure that it continues on. For one reason, he says here, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Here's the other side of that. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you just because you make a mistake. Jesus didn't say the Holy Spirit will be with you as long as you're perfect. Is that what he said? He didn't say the Holy Spirit will be with you as long as your shoes are always shined, you're out of debt, and your portfolio is properly diversified. 
No. He says he will be with you forever. And then he says, you know him. I, I love this. I, I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know him. I, I know this is a super simple message. I, I get it. But this is, it's like this is pretty practical here. The Holy Spirit wants you to know him. You know him because it says here he is with us and he will live in us. This is beautiful. You don't have to beg the Holy Spirit to come. Now, you will hear me pray from time to time, Holy Spirit, come. But here's what we mean. When we say Holy Spirit, come, we're not saying, hey, you're out in space, deep space nine, and you got to, you know, like at light speed come to our, you know, New Life Church building. That's not what we mean. Because he's here. David said, where am I going to go from your spirit? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I go on the other side of the ocean, if I go to Tahiti, you're there. I can't get away from it. So the, the Holy Spirit isn't like way out there and not here. No, when we say Holy Spirit, come, here's what we mean. He's already here. He's living inside of us. Here's what I mean. Make your presence manifest. That's what we mean when we say Holy Spirit, come. We're, we're not saying you're absent and now we want you present. No, we're saying Holy Spirit, come. Make your presence manifested to us because he's here. And he, get this, you know what? We are not less privileged than the people who saw Jesus in person. We are not, we are not at a disadvantage to those who saw Jesus in person. No, we're not. We are privileged to live in the age of the Spirit because he lives in us. God, if you know the Lord and, and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, God lives inside of you, which means you have everything you need. Second Peter 1, remember, uh, you've already been given everything you need for life and godliness in Christ. Already been given it. If the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, you have everything you need for life and for godliness. Or, or Ephesians 1, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not most of them, not a third of them, all, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Jesus said, you're not going to go running around looking for the kingdoms over there, the kingdoms over there. No, because the kingdom of God, Luke 17, 21, is where? In you. It's within you. God lives in you. Let me make this very practical and try to illustrate this. One of these I've used before is a story about a, a fellow by the name of Wilfredo Garza, who was from Mexico and was trying to come into the United States. And um, um, this was a number of years ago, and he came in, but he was uh, arrested, and he was deported back to Mexico, and he did this three or four times. Um, and so he's, this is getting old to him, and he thinks, I wonder what i got to do to become a legal U.S. citizen. So he had a little tin box that his mother had given him. It had some documents in there that he couldn't read. And so one day he goes to the border, and he goes to an attorney's office there at the border, and he takes this little tin can in with him, a little tin box. He takes it into the attorney. The attorney opens it up and starts reading through the papers, and it turns out Wilfredo Garza was actually born in Texas, when his mom had snuck across the border one time, and she happened to give birth while she was in the United States, making Wilfredo Garza, get this now, a full U.S. citizen with all the privileges and rights thereof. Here's the deal. He was sneaking around, getting arrested, being sent back. Why? Because he didn't know who he was. He didn't know who he was the whole time. He's sneaking around thinking he's nobody, possessing nothing, but really, the whole time, he was a citizen of the United States of America and had every single right you and I have. You know what I think we do as Christians sometimes? 
I think we sneak around thinking we're nobody possessing nothing, and the whole time the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. We don't know who we are. Or how about this illustration? Let me try this illustration for those of you who that didn't work for. A number of years ago, there was a film that came out uh, called Castaway with Tom Hanks. Raise your hand if you saw this excruciatingly long movie. Okay. <laughs> it was painful in some ways. Uh, Tom Hanks, though, who doesn't like Tom Hanks? Everybody likes Tom Hanks. He's a great actor. And, and, and in this film, you'll remember he worked for FedEx. He's in this plane crash. He gets washed up on this um, island. He's stranded on an island for I don't know how many years. And, you know, he's got some of the FedEx packages there. Uh, one of them had a, a, a volleyball. I think it was a Wilson volleyball. And so he, he names him Wilson, and he puts hair on him and stuff and so he can talk to Wilson. And, and one of the saddest parts is when Wilson floats away, you know, and he's like, don't leave me, Wilson. Y'all looking at me like I'm weird. You remember this movie, right? All right, all right, all right. So, but there's a package that he doesn't open that he's going to deliver when he gets back, right, that he's going to deliver after all these years on this island. And so after the movie came out, at Super Bowl 37, FedEx decided, and this is hard to use a FedEx illustration in a UPS town, but I'm going to do it. FedEx had a commercial uh, that was a spoof off this. So in the movie, Tom Hanks, or in the, in, the, in the commercial, Tom Hanks or his character comes to the door, and he's got this package. And, and he says to this lady, he says, listen, I, I've been stranded on an island for whatever it was, five years. I, I can't remember how long it was. And, and, but I always said I was going to deliver this package one day because we do that at FedEx. We deliver our packages. And so he hands it to her. And she goes, oh, thanks. And she goes to close the door, and he goes, hey, if you don't mind me asking, I was with that package for five years on the island. What's in the box? And she goes, oh, not much. She opens it up. She goes, a sat phone, a global positioning system, some fishing wire, you know, some seeds, a water purifier, and a ping pong paddle. I mean, it was, like, it was everything he needed to be delivered. Everything he needed to be set free. Everything he needed to get back home. But he never opened the box. He never opened. You know what I think happens sometimes? The Holy Spirit's already put everything in us that we need, but we never open the box. Got everything we we already got everything we need to be delivered, to be set free. But we don't open the box because we don't know who we are. Let's move to the next text. John fourteen verse twenty six says this: But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit who lives in us teaches us. Do you know what, you guys? Christians should always be growing. You know, if I don't see you for a number of years, I mean, I hope this doesn't happen. Like, you know, don't leave the church and then come back in a decade. I mean, come back if you leave, but just don't leave, okay? Uh, let's say I don't see you for a number of years. You know what You know what ought to be happening? We ought to be able to see growth in each other because we've been growing while we've been apart. Because why? The Holy Spirit lives in us, and he teaches us. That's what he said. He teaches. And one of the ways he teaches us is he constantly reminds us of what Jesus said. He said right here, he will remind you of everything I have said. The Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us to Jesus. 
See, sometimes in the scriptures you'll, you'll see the Father and you'll see the Son, Jesus, and, and the Holy Spirit might not be mentioned. And you'll think, well, and some people have thought, well, that means the Holy Spirit's a little bit less important because he's not mentioned as often. That's not the case. The case is, the reason you don't see him is because he's pointing the camera at everybody else. It, you know, uh, have you ever had this where you have a friend who just loves taking group pictures? Like, there's two types of people in the world. The people who love taking group pictures and the people who hate the people who love taking group pictures. Sometimes they're married to each other. And I'm at somebody's house uh, a couple years ago, and I look at a picture, and it was their family and our family on a, on a weekend trip we had done together. And there's her, this lady's husband, and her kids, and there's Marlene and me and, and our kids. Uh, but the lady wasn't there in the picture. And I'm looking at the picture, and I'm going, hey, didn't you go on that trip with us? And she looks at me and goes, and she cocks her head sideways so you know she's not happy. She goes, yes, Tim, I'm the one that took the picture. Like that. Has that ever happened? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. I tell the truth. Yeah, a few of you. Okay. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's constantly turning the camera away from himself to Jesus. Put it this way. The Holy Spirit doesn't take a lot of selfies. Think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit doesn't, he is constantly taking our attention and putting it on Jesus. He's saying, look at Jesus. And the fruit of the Spirit pointing our attention to Jesus is peace. It says, he says, but after he says that, he's going to remind you of what I said. And then he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give. I don't give like the world gives. Don't be, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. See, here's the deal. Whatever you focus on is what you become like. Whatever you're looking, and so what, here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is constantly saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Because as you gaze at Jesus, you become like him. See, some people, there are some Christians who live without peace. And the reason is, they think peace is out there somewhere that they got to go find instead of existing in here because of the Holy Spirit pointing our gaze to Jesus. Next chapter, John 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So here's what he says. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. This is the second courtroom term we've had. We've had the counselor, that's the advocate, the the defense attorney, and we have now testify, right? The Holy Spirit is a witness who testifies. So we have a job to do. He says, you also must testify, but you need to know you're not the only one. You, you guys, listen, we are just one part of a dual witness. This is really important. Whenever you're witnessing to people, you're telling people about you, the pressure is not on you to seal the deal. You're only, you, actually, you're less than half the story. You're just part of a dual witness. Sometimes you're just supposed to plant seeds. Sometimes you're to water the seed. Sometimes you get to harvest it. But either way, know this. Long after you're gone, the Holy Spirit's still going to be there. And you're just part of the dual witness. When, when our team goes to Haiti, it's not all on our team to change Lubin. No, that's the Holy Spirit. But you know what? They got a job to do. They got, and they're going to do their job in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to see change. I'm going to move right along. Uh, chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus, again speaking, but I tell you the truth, it's good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, 
He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Look at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, but you cannot now bear it. Boy, that would have been nerve-wracking, wouldn't it? (laughs) Jesus going, I got a lot more to say, but you can't take it right now. Yeah. Verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory. Look at these last two verses. This will blow your mind. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This is absolutely breathtaking. Jesus said it's good for him to go away. In fact, it's better this way. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict. Now, hang on. Remember what we said in the last couple of texts. There was two courtroom terms already that Jesus used. He used counselor and testify. Now he uses a third courtroom term, convicts. So, so let this in. The Holy Spirit plays the role of the attorney, the witness, and the judge. He is the counselor. He's the witness who testifies, and he's the judge who convicts, and he lives in you. You know what, you guys? I think so often we live below the level of what's been provided for us. I mean, this is beautiful. Enjoy this with me. The Holy Spirit takes from Jesus, and Jesus said, everything the Father's got is mine. The Father doesn't have anything that's not mine, and the Holy Spirit now is going to take from Jesus and do what? Make it known to us. (laughs) We have God's supply. Listen, you guys, we have everything we need. When we stand on the edge of 2019 and we're looking forward, we have everything we need to do this year well. As long as you make room for the Spirit. So how are we going to do that? Let me give you some very practical steps. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some practical steps. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to blow your mind, and then we're going to experience what we're talking about. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to experience it. Here, here, how to make room for the Holy Spirit. Very practical applications. Number one, recognize your need. Before we do anything else, recognize the fact that you need the Holy Spirit. In, in, in Acts chapter 19, uh, Paul goes to Ephesus, and he's talking to some Ephesian Christians, uh, and he says to these Ephesian Christians, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this is what they said in verse 2. No, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And sadly, that can be repeated throughout church history. Sure, I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Now, I, I need us to be clear about something just to avoid confusion. Just so we're clear, you can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want you to think that there's some people who get saved by the Holy Spirit and some who don't get saved by If you got saved, (laughs) it was the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 says this, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Hard to misinterpret that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved, if you are, as the Gospel of John puts it, born again, the Holy Spirit is there. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. However, There is also a filling of the Spirit which empowers you for service. 
And I'm not going to stand here and debate with you about when that happened. Somebody say, well, that happened when the second I got born again. Well, that happened years later. I don't care. I mean, that sounded harsher than a minute. I, 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 here, here's what I care about. Do you have it? That's all I care about. Did it happen immediately? Did it happen years later? I don't know. Just get it. Why? Because you need it. It happened to the disciples multiple times, actually. Not just on the day of Pentecost. Here they are. Sound as a rushing mighty wind, you know. Tongues of fire come down. They start, the text says they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in other languages as the Spirit gives them utterance. And then what happens? Two chapters later, they go to a prayer meeting after they've been beaten and threatened, right? And, and, they, and, and they pray, Lord, consider the threats against us. Stretch forth your hand to do miraculous signs and wonders in the in this name of your holy servant Jesus. And then it says the place where they were meeting was shaken. It's kind of hard to fake that. Do you know people can fake themselves shaken, but it's gonna, you're going to be a big boy if you shake this whole building. The place was shaken, and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had just been, what happened two chapters earlier? They were filled with the Spirit, and then they got filled again. Here's the deal. It's an ongoing filling and refilling and indwelling and re-indwelling and empowering, and you need it. That's why Jesus said this, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. It's not power for power's sake. It's power for mission. It's power for service, and we need it. So number one, and here's how you make room for the Holy Spirit. You recognize you need the Holy Spirit. Number two, ask. This is very deep and profound. Please try to keep up. Jesus, again, Jesus' words, Luke 11, 11, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Hey, Dad, can I have an egg? Here, sure. Give me this. He wouldn't do that. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? So, ask. And the basis of your asking is not your resume. For those of you who've never had this experience with the Holy Spirit, and, and you're, we're going to ask for it here in just a few moments, you don't come to Jesus reciting your resume. I've done this, I've done this, I've done... That's not how you get anything from God. Okay? It's not, it's not reciting your pedigree. It's not about who your mama was or who your daddy is. Right? In, in, when Marlene and I lived in Tajikistan, there was a Tajik proverb that said, uh, which translated, for those who don't speak Tajik, is this. When God gives, he doesn't ask whose son a person is. You know, that's what, so here's your argument. When, when you go to the, Jesus today, you come to the Father in the name of Jesus, and you ask for the baptism of the Spirit, just fill me up, Holy Spirit, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's your entire argument. I'm going to give you your entire argument right here. Jesus, you promised. That's it. Because here's the deal. You're not worthy, but Jesus is worthy. This is good news, really. So, so don't come with your pedigree and your resume. You can leave that at the chair. Okay? And you come and you simply say, Jesus, you promised, and you deserve it. You're worthy. So recognize your need. Ask. Number three, receive. 
receive. Here's what Jesus said. Again, Jesus, John 20, on, on, on Resurrection Sunday at night, he appears and he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive. Not earn. Not work for it. Not memorize the Bible. Not get a 36 on your ACT. Receive. You receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. Don't try to earn it. You're never going to earn this. So recognize your need. Ask. Receive. And finally, listen and obey. I know some of you are thinking, this is not very complicated. I know! But let me tell you something. This is where you see the miraculous in your life. Recognize, I need the Holy Spirit. I ask for it, I receive, and I listen to what he's saying, and I obey what he's saying. That is where you see the miraculous. That when you step out on what you hear and you obey, that's when you see the miraculous. I'm going to tell one story, and then we're going to conclude. We're going to be done. Some of you know that we're, we're part of a, a mission agency, World Mission and Evangelism, which focuses on disciple-making movements. Uh, you've heard my dad talk about it. He's on the board. We've been part of this mission since it was founded. Uh, and now in, in the mission in uh, Central America now has 11,000 churches and Bible studies, 22 generations deep, meaning we planted a church who planted a church who planted a church 22 generations deep. 11,000 in, I don't know how many years, in, in a decade, in a decade, there's been 11,000 churches and Bible studies. This is amazing. But what I, what I don't know that I've ever told you this before is how this whole movement started. It started with a man by the name of David Watson. And just the other day, my, my cousin was telling me a story about David Watson and how this started. David Watson had, had gotten some missionaries. They, um, there were going to be church planters in a place in India amongst a people group uh, that had about 110 million people and only 1,000 believers. Okay, 110, not 110,000, 110 million people, only 1,000 believers. And he's got these uh, missionaries. He's trained them up. There's six of them. He sends them out, and within six months, they're all martyred. Every one of them. And David Watson feels like giving up. You can imagine. He was in depression. He was flying out from India. He was going through Singapore. He stops there. He opens his Bible, and he feels like the Lord speaks to him and says, would you like to know how to plant churches? And he says, yes. And so for the next three years, he reads his Bible, he studies, and he begins to disciple five people. Four men, one woman, and he sends them out. And they get this big map, and, they, and they're wanting to go to the Bujpuri people, the Bujpuri people in India. And they have this great big map of where the, all these people are, and, and they put black dots where they're sending uh, teams of, of missionaries in to plant churches. And, and things are starting to go well, except one village, one town that he sent these two guys into uh, was a town that had a high priest of Shiva. Now, for those of you who don't know, Shiva is one of the high gods of Hinduism. There, there's Vishnu and Brahma and Shiva. There, there's actually millions of gods, but, but these are like the highest gods. And Shiva sometimes can be violent. And so these two missionaries go into this town. The town rises up under the leadership of the high priest of Shiva, and they take them out and stone them to death. Now, David Watson is responsible not for six people, but eight people dying. The first time, he was in depression. This time, he was mad. 
stuff. He's heard from God. He's been listening to the Holy Spirit. He's been obedient to what he's asked. So he gets mad at these guys. So he goes over to the map, and this time he takes a red marker. Before it had been a black marker. This time he takes a red marker, and he circles that little town, and he puts a circle around it, and he says, we will never go back there again. They kill missionaries there. We're not going there. Not, not going to be a part of it. They can die and go to hell for all I care. That's what he says. And I know that's not very Christian, but listen, if you had been responsible for sending eight people to their death, you might be upset too. He said, nobody's going there. Very next day, a new young lady comes in, and she's a new missionary in training. She's being trained to be a church planter. She comes in, and while David Watson is speaking to the team, she's looking up on the chart there on the map. She sees the red dot. She thinks that means that's the target. So she starts praying for the people in that town, in that little red circle. After it's over, she goes up to, uh, to David Watson and says, hey, Brother David. And, and, and I have this based on people who were there, okay? So uh, my cousin is talked to David Watson, and this is a true story. So she says, I, I feel like I'm supposed to go there. And, and he says, her name was Usha. David Watson says to Usha, Usha, nobody goes there. They kill missionaries there. Nobody, nobody's going there. She said, but, but Brother David, I feel like maybe I'm, I'm supposed to. Usha, we're not having this conversation. It's out of the question. She said, but, but Brother David, I think maybe the Lord is, he said, Usha, go to lunch. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. So he sends her off to lunch. She goes to lunch. A couple hours later, she comes back and says, Brother David, I feel like I'm supposed to go to that town. And he said, I told you, Usha, we're not having the conversation. She said, well, Brother David, can I ask one question? He said, sure. She said, who is bigger, you or God? So he goes, Usha, we're not having this conversation. You're going, okay? So he sends her. And up until this time, it's been two by two, two men at a time. But this time, it's a single woman going in by herself. And she was something of a, of a nurse, not, not nurse as we think, you know, went to Bellarmine or Galen College of Nursing or whatever, but more like a homespun nurse, like a home village remedy sort of nurse. And she had a little bag of, of remedies, you know, and, and so she goes into this town, and she just starts going to people who are sick and wounded and, and, and healing them, right, just taking care. And she runs out of her things and her bag, so she, doesn't, so she just starts laying hands on people, and, pray, and they just start getting healed. Like, Usha's like, goodness, look at that. <laughs> you know? yeah, and she's just going around, and, and like, it gets to a point where every single person she lays her hands on gets healed. This is extraordinary. Well, the high priest of Shiva hears that. He calls her in. She comes in. The high priest is there with some of his men, and there's a, a little girl lying there. It's his granddaughter who's, who's in a near comatose state, about to die. And the high priest of Shiva says to Usha, I've heard that you heal people. Heal my daughter. And so Usha, you know, without thinking, that's what she's been doing. She, she walks over to lay her hands on on his granddaughter, and as she leans over, the Spirit of God says, do not touch her. And she stops. And she looks at the high priest of Shiva, and she says, I can't do it. He said, no, you will do it, or I will kill you. And Usha said, then you'll have to kill me, because I would rather you be mad at me than my God be mad at me. So he has his men take her out, and they beat her. For all she knew, she was going to die. But she wasn't going to disobey God. 
They take her out and they beat her. They bring her back in. And as they're walking her back in, the Lord speaks to her and says, say exactly what I tell you to say. They drag her in. There's the high priest of Sheba. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance. This is your last chance. This is it. Heal my granddaughter right now. And she said, I won't do it. But here's what the Lord told me. Here's what my God told me. If the high priest of Sheba will say with his lips, there is no God but Usha's God. And if the high priest of Sheba will lay his hands on his granddaughter and say, in the name of Usha's God, be healed, she will be healed. And the high priest of Sheba says, I can't do that. I'm the high priest of Sheba. And Usha said, then she will die. This is one tough cookie, this Usha. high priest stands there for a moment tears running down his eyes because he loves his granddaughter he says with his lips there is no God but Usha's God and then he gets on his knees and he puts his hand on his granddaughter and says in the name of Usha's God be healed instantly she sat up completely healed Instantly. A couple things happened as a result of that. She lived. Number two, Shiva was out looking for a new high priest right away. That former high priest of Shiva became a church planter, and he and his team have now planted, get this, get this, 5,000 churches. 5,000. Listen, guys, somebody asked the question, where are the miracles? Where are the miracles? Why don't we see the miracles? Where are they? Here's the answer. They're on your mission field. And your mission field may be India, amongst the Bhojpuri people, or it may be the Waffle House with a guy named Chuck. Either way, it's the same Holy Spirit. And Usha's God is my God. And he's here right now. 